This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. So this message is titled uh, The Hanging of Haman. So if you've enjoyed this past year with me, there's one specific moment that I remember we were in a prayer time, maybe even been a Wednesday night prayer time, and uh, someone that was visiting uh, prayed a prayer, God hang Haman on his own gallows. And I tell you what, that moment just gelled it for me. Because you know how you just are in those times where you're like, God, I need to know what to pray. I need to know how to pray it. And it was like, that's it. Okay, let's bottle that. We're going to mass produce that prayer. That is the annunciation. You see, there's, there's a wicked work, an antichrist agenda that is desiring to destroy not just us, the saints. It's because of who we stand for. Because it's ultimately Christ that it desires to destroy. Now, Christ is seated on high and will not be destroyed, but this malevolence doesn't quite think straight. Have you ever thought about it? It's like, why does the devil keep trying to do this? Doesn't he realize that his days are numbered? You see, he's a deceiver by nature. And a deceiver, if you've ever been around a deceiver, begin to believe their own lies. And I don't know what is in his head, you know, because I don't like to hang out there, but there's, you get this thought that he actually believes he can pull this one out. And you have to admit, he's a very uh, conniving and convincing too towards us, where it begins to sink down deep into us. We're like, maybe he is going to pull it out. Okay, that's why a message like this is important. We need to remember how it ends. We need to remember that our God is victorious. So some of you could question the fact that on resurrection morning, I'm giving a message called the hanging of Haman. That sounds more like a a Good Friday message, right? I mean, we're talking about the cross. Isn't that, you see, the hanging of Haman is the turning. It is when the natural realm begins to line up with the realities of God's victory and his sovereign purposes. In other words, when Haman hangs, It's the external demonstration of the victory of truth. And the resurrection life of Jesus is exactly that. You see, at the cross, you really need to have good eyesight to see what's happening. Most people, most of us, if we were staring at a bloody pulp of a man hanging naked there, being mocked and ridiculed and then breathing his last, it doesn't look very triumphant. But when that tomb is empty on that first day of the week, that is is the evidence. The evidence that God has done exactly as he said he would do. And he is going to do exactly what he said he would do in our lives as well. In the church, this is what I want us to be expectant of. This is not the dying last breath, last wheeze of the church of Jesus Christ. I know we look weak, and I know we're backed up against the ropes. I know we got our nose, it's sort of bloodied, and our eyes are puffy, you know, we're the boxer in the match, and we're about, we're sliding down the ropes. It doesn't look good. In fact, the one who's, who's boxing us doesn't even look tired. 
and we look like we're going down. This is what every great movie is made of, right? You get the guy who's leaning against the ropes, and then finally you get a close-up on his face, and he growls. And he gets the inspiration. There's his coach in the corner. It's like, now. And then he rises up, and then the guy swings. He misses, and then the, the guy who looks weak suddenly gives him an uppercut and, and dizzies him. You see, this is the turning point. We are in desperate need of a stirring within the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I crave it. I crave to see not the hanging of humans, the hanging of Haman in a human sense, but the spiritual powers that are operating to try and devastate the church of Jesus Christ. So the hanging of Haman, God's bewildering ability to turn travesties into triumphs. Esther 9.25, when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. So if you talk with Nathan uh, about those gallows, uh, he would say, yeah, very likely they were shaped like a cross. Isn't that an interesting thought, to think that this one named Haman, who is a descendant of Agag, he's an Agagite, which is the the, uh, Amalekites, which the first nation was the Amalekites. He's a symbol of the first, which is the flesh. And the flesh is vying against the Spirit's work in you and in this world. And so we have Haman who is vying, who is concocting schemes to destroy God's people. And yet in the end, you're going to see that what he dished out, he's going to build a cross and he's going to hang on his very cross. And of course, I just gave you the gospel. You do know that, don't you? You're like, well, I thought Jesus hung on the cross. Yeah, you know, he sort of hung sin, the power of death, the grave. You know, he just sort of hung it all up there. Everything that opposes us, he hung it on that cross. That was the devastation of the enemy. It's our life. You see, Jesus did something. He accomplished something that is very similar, if not identical, to this, which Haman had devised, this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. The doom, the gloom. What future do we have? I don't know if any of you have struggled this year with your future plans. Uh, When you see some of the things that have happened, and I'm not just talking COVID. COVID is just one of the things that has happened, right? But there is a propensity to lose sight and to lose vision. I'm not going to query you and say, Kate, could you raise your hands if you've struggled with that? But it is a fascinating thing that when you see your future, like many of us look at America as like a cliff. And so it could go maybe a few more months and straight drop off. In other words, absolute devastation and destruction. And when you lose a vision for the future, for instance, your homeland where you live and you don't have any vision for how it's going to unfold, it's hard to plan. Have you noticed that? It's hard to say, eh, and then, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'd love to grow up and become an astronaut. Maybe, a, you know, you know, who wants to grow up and be a policeman, right? It's like the way this world is headed, it's headed the wrong direction. So all of those little boyish, little girlish dreams seem quashed and held back because how can you dream in a world that's going to hell in a handbasket? Right? See, this is, I'm just touching on it. The devil sponsors doom 
and gloom. That's why I don't like it when Christians hang out in the church and sponsor doom and gloom. Because, hey, hey, be quiet. I don't need to hear that. You see, God sponsors hope and future. Now, I'm not saying that God isn't very clear with us saying, yes, sufferings will come. Yeah, by the way, all that live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And you can say, that's doom and gloom. No, 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 it's not. You see, God turns all of that into greater strength for us. It's like saying, we're going to wake up in the morning, we're going to go to the gym, and we're going to get in shape. That's not doom and gloom. Now, some of you could interpret it that way. But that's not doom and gloom. That's saying, hey, let's be built strong for this hour so that we can rejoice and be happy in every situation that could possibly come our way. Could you imagine if you could anticipate the future, no matter what it is, in this country and get a smirk on your face and say, yeah, God will have the upper hand in that. Well, God will have a, you know, a move to put him in checkmate there too. Oh, and no matter if he tries this, oh, God will get him. Yeah, oh, I can't wait to see how God's gonna do this. You see, do you have a future and a hope Or are you toting around doom and gloom? I have heard a lot of doom and gloom lately. I don't know about you. I don't know who you hang out with. But there are a lot of purveyors of doom and gloom. And it's hard not to join in on the club. Have you ever noticed that? That's why I have to stay away from the news. The news is doom and gloom. I I haven't heard a good thing from the news in probably around six months. And I, I'm not even going to tell you what that last thing was, you know, because I don't want to just, you know, sort of have open wounds and poke at them. But literally, I have not heard one good thing about our future as a country, about the developments, about things being found out, about lies being exposed, about fraud, you know, being, you know, uh, arrested. You see, it's all getting away. It's all running free. And all the bad guys seem to have the upper hand. Doom. Gloom. And if this continues, yeah, and then it's called trajectory. It's like, if this, then you have this forecast. Oh, no, then it's destruction. Oh, what's going to happen to us as a church? We're all going to be arrested. We're going to be thrown into prison. Well, this is the early church. And what's funny is we're like, God, I want the strength of the early church. Well, wait a minute here. What are we complaining about then? This is the hour for the church. This is what we've been trained for. This is what we've been built for. Don't you realize that? We have been designed to shine Jesus in a dark world. I'll just give you some samplings of what I've heard. There is no hope for this country. The economy is a ticking time bomb. It's about to blow. It's really hard to have excitement about the future when you ponder things like that. It's like, okay, so all my money, all my hard work is going to be worthless when the bomb goes off? I mean, how how do I appropriate that? I've lost all vision for my life. That's not just one person. This is a deep strike, a deep blow to the lives of many of us. How do I plan for a future in which I'm in prison? That's a strange vision for life. I'd like to grow up and be an astronaut. Then the Christians over here like, I'd like to grow up and be a prisoner. It's like, what kind of vision is that? And yet that's what we're struggling with. How do I appropriate the realities around me as a Christian? What does this look like? We need to think like Christians. Proverbs 31, 25, strength and honor are her clothing. So this is speaking of this woman of virtue. Okay, now many of us as guys in here could go, well, this isn't talking about me then, right? And yet this could also be likened to the bride of Christ. This is the way a woman ought to be. And so as the dependent one, as the bride, I want you to adopt this, even though you're a guy. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. So I gave you a couple other 
translations for that too. She can laugh at the days to come. She smiles at the future. Why? Well, strength and honor are her clothing. Jesus is her clothing. And so as a result, she will rejoice in time to come. She can laugh at the days to come. She smiles at the future. Is that what you're doing? Are you smiling? And you could call it a smirk at the future. I'm, I'm okay with that. Okay? I think we can work with the, with the Hebrew on that one to make it happen. In other words, you're looking at the future going, yep. Oh, I'm so glad to be alive right now. This is going to be good. As opposed to, oh, no. You see, the paralysis of anxiety, foreboding, fear, fretting paralyzes the Christian. That's why the devil's playing it. This is the devil's game, and we don't participate. We participate in God's agenda. So I have some great stories for you, and they're classic stories of when all goes dark, when everything goes wrong. Now, what's funny is this, I always have considered this one one of the most humorous ones in the Bible, because for most of us, the world doesn't come to an end when you lose your accent, okay? But, hey, it's a borrowed accent. So we'll go through the story. What future do I have with that at the bottom of the Jordan River? Okay, this guy is going to borrow an axe head and he's going to, you know, pull it back to chop something and the axe head's going to go flying, land in the Jordan and sink to the bottom. I know, that doesn't sound like the worst scenario in your mind, but you need to trust this is worse than anything you're going through right now. This is a, this is a sunk axe head. This is terrible stuff, Right. So 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7, and the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. I know you're thinking, what does this have to do with anything? This is a good story. But as one was cutting down a tree, brace yourselves, guys, this is an intense moment in Scripture. The iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And I, oh, no. Okay, so I don't know what you're going through in life, but this is maybe similar. Something has happened, which, now, I know, for many of us, we're thinking, just save up some money and buy a new one. Okay, this can't be that big of a deal. However, you need to get into the situation. God, for whatever reason, out of all the stories of the Bible, is going to pick this one. You know how many things happened that were big and, and wonderful and beautiful and powerful, and yet God is going to pick this story? I've always sort of chuckled to myself because the next story in the Bible is possibly one of the grandest, most majestic pictures of God's power you'll ever see, and this is so pathetically small. And yet, they seem to be put next to each other on purpose. Almost as if God is saying, uh-huh, you see that small situation in your life and this big situation in the world? God has a solution. Ironically, it's the same solution for both. So as a result, even though we can all chuckle at the story, I want you to recognize it's the same principle that God is showing in this. We got something. Like, for instance, if you were to share your big concern and you were to say, yeah, you know, I have a bill. It's like a $100 energy bill, and I, I don't have the money to pay it right now. Someone else in here would go, that's ridiculous. I'm like, I owe someone $100,000 tomorrow. 
and you have your little $100 energy bill. However, your little axe head is a big deal to you. And God seems to go out of his way to say, I see that axe head. That matters to me. I want us to cherish that. Not just chuckle, but cherish. That's pretty amazing. So I'm going to leave the story right here, and we'll come back to it. But I want to sort of build that tension of recognizing that, you know, we all are sort of being brought to that point where, alas, master, and you can fill in the blank of what your story is. It's like, oh, no. The Syrians surrounding, this is actually the next story uh, in Scripture. What future do I have with this mighty army seeking my destruction? So let's, let's read that story. 2 Kings 6, 14 through 23, through 23. Therefore, he, the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. Oh, no. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, master. Doesn't that sound familiar? What shall we do? So we have another alas, master. Now, this one seems a little more daunting, okay? This entire army is coming to get Elisha. They're upset with him, okay? He's been, you know, giving secret information, obviously, to the king of Israel about the plans of the Syrian army. The Israelites always seem to know where the Syrians are going to attack. And so they want to stop this guy. So if you're Elisha, can't you imagine a little fretting, foreboding, maybe a little doom and gloom in your life? Could you imagine if someone were to whisper to him, yeah, the entire Syrian army is coming to destroy you. Do you imagine that you might be a little restless in bed that night, maybe have some dark dreams uh, of what it would be like? Instead, he seems to be totally relaxed, drinking his coffee in the morning. Okay, now I'm not going to, I shouldn't give that away. Uh, I think this is where we're going to stop the story, right here. Alas, my master, what shall we do? We don't know what's going to happen. I shouldn't have given away anything. You erase that, okay? You guys don't know that he's just sipping his coffee and he's all relaxed. You don't know that. Haman's plot to exterminate. What future do I have with this king signing a decree for my elimination? Okay, now we're not the only ones that were ever threatened at a national level because evil people were plotting. There are people that have plotted against the truth for time immemorial. Since the very beginning, this has been the case. So we need to remember that God has set in his word a pattern for our reasoning. Okay, so... This is a dark situation, and I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to say, oh, this is no big deal. You know, there's a decree that has been issued. You see, the the people of God, the Jews, are still going to take it seriously. They are going to fast. (laughs) They are going to pray. In other words, they are still going to take it seriously and weigh it. However, if you have this situation, let's see if I have a scripture on it. Yeah, Esther 3, 9 through 11. Then Haman said... If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that the Jews be destroyed. Whoa. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, and the, enemy, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Oh, no. The government has literally been handed into the hands of Haman? Wicked Haman? The one who wants to destroy the Jews? This is terrible. And yet, what we have is a setup. Okay, so even though it may look dark, that's where I'm wanting you to be. I'm wanting to get you to that edge of despair. Oh, no, the accent, it is sunk to the bottom of the Jordan. Oh, no, the Syrians have surrounded us. Oh, no, the king signed the decree. How you doing? 
How you doing? It's a little dark in here, isn't it? You know, hey, it's a little tomb-like. We don't see the end. You see, if we get caught up in the enemy's take, fretting, foreboding, anxiety, fear, are the natural byproduct. The Savior suffering on a cross. What future do I have if my one source of salvation is pinned to a cross and breathing his last? You see, if this is the destruction of the Messiah, and the enemy really is getting away with what he declares he's getting away with, I've stopped him! I've done it! That's what he's telling you. Could you imagine what it would be like to be one of his followers and to have seen him work so many miracles, to see him do so many things? Every time they tried to lay hands on him, he snuck away. And now suddenly he's like giving himself into the hands of sinners. It's like, what are you doing? And then... He is beaten, scourged, hung on a tree, and then he breathes his last. So if we were to stop the, the entire story there and just let it linger in the air, how you doing? Because this is where many of us are in our life. You see, our culture is not bearing witness of God's grand plan. We don't see it in the newspapers. You know, when you're walking to check out in the grocery store, it's not saying God has a plan, you know, on the Inquirer. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about what God is going to do. It only seems to herald the doom and the gloom for us as believers. Is there any hope? Is there any possibility that God could come through? You see, in each of these stories, I think you have a hunch. I've already given me maybe a little too much away. But it's not just a hunch that you should have, it's faith. You see, the same pattern that we see all throughout Scripture is the God pattern. God doesn't mind us walking through a season of darkness. But what he's asking for us and from us in the midst of that is, do you believe that light is greater? John 19, 17 through 18, and he Bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Well, this is a pretty dark situation. So I've just given you four stories and they all are at a terrible place. They're at that one spot in the movie where all, all needs to go dark. I think it's between the second and the third act uh, in, in the play, you know, in the drama, where it's like it all has to go, the bottom has to fall out on it. It has to be an irreparable situation. That's what makes a good story, right? And that's what we have in each of these. I mean, especially the axe head, you have to admit. The, the axe head sunk to the bottom of the Jordan. Oh, no! The dark night of the soul is what this is typically called throughout history. So, uh, I think is St. John of the Cross is his name in history, but he, I don't know if he's the one that penned this, but he's the one, I think, that first mentioned this phrase. But the dark night of the soul, and that's like Jacob, where he is at the end of his rope, and he has tried everything. I mean, the guy, even his name, uh, supplanter, deceiver, uh, he's, he's a con man, and yet all of his conning can't get him out of this one. Elijah... Elijah, Esau, sorry, guys, I, I don't want to throw Elijah under the bus. Esau, his brother, has sworn to kill him, and he has all of his armed men, and they're ready to destroy Jacob. And Jacob's at the end of his ropes. He's at the dark night of the soul. The lights have gone out, and he's going to leave. He's going to break up his party into two groups so that if one group gets attacked, the other group could get away. 
and he is going to go off by himself in the night, and he's going to run into God. And he's going to wrestle with God through the night until the breaking of day. You see, there's a lot in that that you need to catch, that when you enter into the dark night, it is not just to throw your hands up in the air, it's to grab a hold of something. For us, it's faith, it's promise, it's truth, it's the word of of what God has said to us. The one who is faithful and true. What has he told us? Hold on to that and don't let go until the light breaks. Until the stone rolls away. Your God is promised and he will not fail you now. Jesus made it very clear. In three days, I will rise again. You see, the same truth is real for all of us. He has given us his word. And so when the grave, the stone rolls in front of it, it gets dark in our life. We hold on to the truth knowing that the day is coming when the light will conquer that darkness. So the dark night of the soul, this is where Christianity is proven genuine or fake. You see, have you ever noticed that you can be very bold for Jesus when things are going well? And you can make statements like, he's faithful, he's true. It's when things go difficult in your life that you're really proven. But how are you doing right now? Where's your soul at right now? Well, I don't know, I'm just really confused because I thought, you know, that my axe head would never go into the Jordan. I I never thought that the Syrians would actually surround me. I never thought, I mean, the king would actually sign that decree. You see, where are you in your life when the difficulty happens? Where is your soul? What is its condition? Where is your focus? I I understand that we can be knocked off center and we can be dizzied. I feel like that's a great description of the church, even of, of my life. I remember when COVID first struck and we had this lockdown, we had a leadership meeting and we were talking about the fact that, all right, what is our role as a church in this? This is right at the very beginning. Even before the lockdowns, if I remember correctly, if they ask us not to meet, that's unprecedented in American history, for the church to be, to be asked not to meet. Do we agree with the government because we're submissive to the government and they're not asking us to violate our conscience? Or do we push back? And we, we were really struggling with this. We call it dizzy. We didn't know what to do in response to these things, but we're, they were coming on like a flood and we didn't, we'd never dealt with them before. I'd never dealt with COVID-19 before as a church leader. There was no precedent for this. We had nothing to grip or reason from. It's like, well, you know, so-and-so did this, you know, 10 years ago and in this country they did this when this happened. We didn't know what we were dealing with. We didn't even know if we believed that COVID-19 was even real. It's like, what is this that we're, 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 we're wrestling with right now? I understand that we can be dizzy, but the thing we need to be reaching for in that darkness is not our own uh, sense of stability, it's God. We need to reach out and grab a hold of the word of God. We need to grab a hold of the Christ. We need to grab a hold of that which is true in those moments, and that is how to walk properly through the dark night of the soul. So 1939, we're going to go back into World War II history. And we're going to call it the sinking exit. This probably, it probably should have been the Syrian army surrounding or the Haman uh, plot because it's, it was a pretty significant thing. You have Hitler 
who is marshalling his forces in Europe and no one can stop him. At the time, I mean, you would have understood if people were talking about end times that he would have been a picture of the Antichrist. It would have made total sense back then. And so you're in 1939. What's happening in America? We're in the Great Depression. We're sucking our thumb. We're totally not wanting to be involved in what's going on. What's happening in Great Britain? Great Britain has just come out. I mean, 20 years earlier, they had World War I, which was called the war, the war to End All Wars. They do not want to fight another war. They are massively in debt from World War I. They have no support in the government to even go to war, to fight against Hitler, to do anything in response. So as a result, everyone is back on their haunches. They are being destroyed by this Nazism that is coming through Europe. And so it's a dark, dark day. I'm just saying, hey, the axe head is sinking. The Syrians are surrounding. The, the plot, the, the king has signed the decree. It's over for Great Britain. So we're going to call it the paralyzed world, the threatening army. And I'm going to liken Great Britain to us in this story, the church of Jesus Christ. So Winston Churchill is going to say, in this dark time, the basest sentiments received acceptance or passed unchallenged by the responsible leaders of the political parties. Now that's some high lingo, so you may not get it, but that's exactly what's happening in our country right now. Where the basis sentiments, some of the worst possible thoughts that even five years ago we would have said no one would ever dream of saying that in government are now being stated openly and everyone's applauding. The basis sentiments received acceptance or passed unchallenged by the responsible, responsible leaders of the political parties. In 1933, the students at the Oxford Union, under the inspiration of a Mr. Joad, passed their ever shameful resolution that this house refuses to fight for king and country. It was easy to laugh off such an episode in England, but in Germany, in Russia, in Italy, in Japan, the idea of a decadent, degenerate Britain took deep root and swayed many calculations. Great Britain was deemed by Mussolini, who's the uh, Italian dictator. Uh, he was, he's going to throw his, his support in with Hitler. Okay? He was an ally in World War well, Italy was an ally in World War I, but they are going to turn against Great Britain in World War II. And this is Mussolini's description. That Great Britain is a frightened, flabby old woman. Sorry if any of you happen to think of yourself as a frightened, flabby old woman. I'm not trying to create any type of tie there. But that's not a compliment, okay, even though if you happen to be of the older order, I, don't, I feel terrible now. Why did I even say that? For a nation, that's not a good description. So I, this is one of my favorite uh, statements from Winston Churchill in the midst of this. He's, he's dealing with what we would be likening as like a weak church today. He's dealing with a weak Great Britain. No one expects. The, the ambassador to, to Great Britain from America is going to come back to Roosevelt and say, yeah, maybe two, three weeks. They won't be able to stand long. So don't put any money in. Don't put any resources in. It's just going to be a waste. That's literally how Great Britain is looking at this time. And what does Churchill see? Churchill sees something in Great Britain. He just doesn't know how to get it out of Great Britain. Don't underestimate England, sir. See, that's what I want to say to the powers of darkness. Don't underestimate the church, O oh devil. We are built for such an hour as this. Now, almost all of us could chuckle at that and say, no, we're not. Yes, we are. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm not looking at all of us in our natural man capacity. I'd say, yeah, yeah, our training is pretty pathetic. Okay. But we have God Almighty. By the way, let's go back to the angels. One third went with Lucifer. That means God has double the angels. And then he's God. So as far as I'm concerned, I like our odds, even though we look weak. 1940s. This is one year later. Literally, we are going to see the transformation of a nation, which is why when I was going through my World War II series, my name in my notes, I had a folder for all my, and it was called 1940. That was actually the name, even though the war started in 1939 and ended in 1945. It's like, why am I calling it 1940? Because what stood out to me when I was studying World War II, which is why I began an entire 93-episode series on it last year, was to say, that's what I want to see happen. Right there. I want to see the transformation of 1939 to 1940, Great Britain. I want to see it in the church. This is the exact reason that I was moved to do it. We're going to see the awakening world, the exceedingly great army. It's an incredible description of it because that's what they became. It is curious, says Winston Churchill, it is a curious fact about the British Islanders who hate drill and have not been invaded for nearly a thousand years that as danger comes nearer and grows, they become progressively less nervous. When it is imminent, they are fierce. When it is mortal, they are fearless. These habits have led them into some very narrow escapes. So this is during the first attacks from the German airplanes while down in their bomb shelters. So the Battle of Britain begins, and they're, they're being bombed by the Luftwaffe, German Air Force. And this is what Winston Churchill's description is. Everyone was cheerful and jocular, as is the English manner when about to encounter the unknown. Okay, I don't know if you guys see that I'm hinting towards something. It's like, yeah, Great Britain didn't look good. Okay, in fact, when I read through the memoirs of, of Winston Churchill and he's going through the 30s, I am like horrified by Great Britain. I mean, horrified. And of course, all I'm thinking about is modern America. That's what I'm thinking the entire time. And I'm horrified by it. And yet, this is going to be called, that 1940 generation that was terrible in the 30s is going to be called the greatest generation ever. Isn't that an ironic twist? That is the most pathetic generation I've ever seen is in the 30s. I mean, literally 1939. And then 1940, what happened? They're going to be now the greatest generation ever? They had a purpose. They awakened from their slumber. It's precisely what we need. The glory of old England, peace-loving and ill-prepared as she was, but instant and fearless at the call of honor, thrilled my being and seemed to lift our fate to those spheres far removed from earthly facts and physical sensation. It's a great story, guys. It's called World War II. You should read it. Ezekiel 37, the exceedingly great army. Right now, I think for many of us, if we were to describe the church, it's sort of like a pile of bones in a, dry, in a, in a valley, and they're dry, very dry. You see, what we are supposed to be is not what we are right now. But God Almighty is sort of looking at us going, what do you think can happen with these bones? Do you think they can live? Do you think they can live? And then what does Ezekiel say? Lord, you know. (laughs) That's sort of our answer too. It's like, God, I don't know how it's going to work, but you know. I believe that God desires the church to rise up now. So yes, I do believe these bones can live. And of course, I have read Ezekiel 37, God, so I have a little advantage on Ezekiel. I do believe that they can live because of you, the God who makes dead things live. Ezekiel 37 also has another story. It's about sticks. 
It's right beneath the dry bones story. You have these two sticks. And I'll just read it. Ezekiel 37, 15 through 17. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, as for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it. For Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick, and they will become one in your hand. It's sort of an interesting thing. It's talking about one king being over one people. These two sticks, which could be Jews, Gentiles. You could easily look at it that way. But then when you look at the cross, what do you see? Two sticks. And you see Jesus uniting, breaking down a wall uh, of division. You see something happening with two sticks. So you have Ezekiel 37 and you have this picture of what's going to be the new covenant church ultimately. You're going to see the church enlivened by God, clattered together by the power of the work of his shed blood, and then endued with the power of the Holy Spirit from on high, so that it becomes an exceedingly great army. And then you see these two sticks come together. They become one in his hand. The sinking axe head. So that word for sticks, which is not a word that I would use to translate it properly, is like a plank of wood, a piece of wood. It could be, you know, another term, gallows. You know what uh, Haman was hung on? That same word. And so what you see is this word that is incredibly a parallel with the cross in the New Testament is going to be that word for wood or sticks, even in Ezekiel 37. And that word is eights. I know it doesn't look like it, uh, but that's, it's E-S, you know, on our screen, right? Uh, eights, that's how you pronounce it. So this, this, on the screen it says, the sinking axe head. The sinking axe head, you're going to have this guy, you know, chopping wood, and then suddenly his axe head is going to go flying, it lands in the Jordan River, and it sinks. And so the solution for it is what I'm going to say is the eights thrown into the Yardane. Does that solve all your riddles? This is the secret for your life. If you want to know how to navigate through those difficult moments, here's your secret. The eights thrown into the Yardane. I could just close the message right now and you'd all have the secret, right? All right, I'll unpack that a little more. Eights, stick, branch, wood, gallows. Yardane, the Jordan, okay? That just happens to be the Hebrew word. Listen to what it means. The outpoured, the descendant, the one coming down. Okay, so what we have is something that I would parallel with what the cross is in the New Testament. It is a work, a master work, the choreography designed by God himself. But the Holy Spirit is going to be the instrument that is going to carry this work even 2,000 years ago, but then also to us, the Yardane. The outpoured, the descendant, the one coming down. That could be Jesus, could be the spirit of Jesus, but it's a pretty amazing thing to see what that Jordan symbolizes. And then we have wood, gallows, and we have the outpoured. You know, it's just interesting to see the entire solution to our life right there. Second Kings 6, 1 through 7. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. Now watch what happens. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, so he cut off a stick, an eights, and he threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. 
Now, remember how dark it was when I first gave that story? I know some of you were just on pins and needles wanting to know what was going to happen with that accent. However, I stopped the story and I said, boom, we're just going to stop right there. It's that dark place where we don't know what is going to happen. You see, that's where most of us live a good portion of our life. But we need to recognize the solution. It's the eights thrown into the Yardane. That's what it is. So there it is. I don't know if you guys see it on the screen. If you're getting this via podcast, you're getting T-E-T-I-T-Y, okay? So it's Tay-Tay-Tay is how you say it, okay? This is, I've been working on it this week. So what you do is you whisper to your soul, Tay-Tay-Tay, okay? You guys can try it if you want, uh, but Tay-Tay-Tay, okay? The eights thrown into the Yardane. See that? Tay-Tay-Tay. All right, this is all very strategic in how we do these things. God in and through his Holy Spirit, transforming what the enemy means for evil into good by supernaturally wielding the cross of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is working right now in our lives to take everything the enemy is conspiring and converting it. How? Through the work of the cross, the wood, and the yardane. Those two work together and it causes iron to float. It causes the impossible to take place. Tay tai tai. So how about the menacing Syrians? Let's practice this. So we're surrounded by an entire army and you're Elisha and the servant. Okay, what do you need? You need to do some tay tai tai. Okay, that's what you need to do. You need to remember that God is greater, that even though the enemy is is conspiring in all of his evil malevolence to destroy Elisha. That Elisha can just be confident that God is greater. God has him right where he wants him. So that's why he can wake up and yawn and stretch and get his coffee and just even take his time. You know, as it's like, you know, making its noises, its coffee noises, and it's, you know, filling his cup. And then he's going to come out and just sort of stare at the sunset, totally miss the army down there. And he's like, oh, what a beautiful morning. Well, isn't there's an army down there and they're surrounding you, Elisha? Don't you care? I love this story. So let's let's go through it. Tay tai tai. You guys can start practicing it. I know some of you feel a little awkward being in your seat going, Tay tai tai, but you can try it. Second Kings 6, 14 through 23. Therefore he sent horses, remember this is the king of Syria, and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So this is how Elisha responds. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Tay, tay, tay. You see, what Elisha is seeing is something greater than the natural realm. You see, what you are supposed to see in every situation, when you have difficulty, when you have threat, when you have the doom and gloom that is attempting to work in your life, to diminish your view of the future, to remove your future and hope, what do you need to see? You need to see the cross. You need to see the power of that life that he has given, the resurrection life the Holy Spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Do you see that? Because that's what Elisha's doing. He's tetaitain. He's actually applying something, a greater vision, a greater understanding to the situation. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. This is a pretty extraordinary story. You got one guy that they're wanting to hunt down, an entire army. And this man is totally nonplussed, not moved at all. He's tie-tying. And he just says, yeah, strike him with blindness, O God. The whole army is blind. This is an incredible story. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor this is the city, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. (laughs) They're all blind right now. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw and they were, they, there they were inside Samaria, which is the capital city of the northern kingdom. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? So basically Elisha's likening what he just did of a king taking an entire army captive with a sword and bow with what he just did. In other words, in his confidence, in his faith, his tie-tying, he is literally going to maneuver a captivity of an entire army, set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their masters. Listen to this final statement. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Talk about flipping a situation on its head. It's amazing. Okay, and we have the pile of dead men's bones. What do we need to do? In other words, we need to see something that only God can do. Right now, the church looks weak. Right now, our circumstances look feeble. But what do you see? Do you see the ability of our God? The same God who has done all these other things throughout history and the same one who promises to never change. Tay tai tai. The pile of dead men's bones. How about Haman's threats of extinction? Tay tai tai. You see, God is going to always have the last word. God is going to do what God does. We need to believe it. How about G- Jesus pinned to the eights? He's pinned to the wood. What do we do? Tay tai tai. Of course, that's the ultimate picture of it, right? That's the fulfillment of it all. You see, every, the Holy Spirit is not, you know, hamstrung in this situation. He's orchestrating everything. In fact, he's fulfilling the word of prophecy to the smallest detail. Even, I mean, the chief priests and scribes and Pharisees, what are they doing? They're paying 30 pieces of silver to Judas and then buying a potter's field with it They're fulfilling the Old Testament. Even the enemies of God are doing it. Even what they speak as they're surrounding that cross is a fulfillment of Psalm 22. Everything about this situation, the Holy Spirit is not hamstrung. Though God may appear weak, though it may appear that he's lost, has he lost? No, he's accomplishing the greatest work that anyone has ever accomplished in this very moment of darkness. Tay-tay-tay. Matthew 28, 6, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. 
This is the ultimate picture of a tetaitai, where you recognize the eights thrown into the yardane, that you have the work of God which causes the supernatural outcome. Right now, we need something that's more than natural outcome. Many of us are still caught in the political sphere where we're like, if we could just get this, if we could prove the falseness of this and the deception here, then, instead of recognizing what we need is a revival. What we need is for God to move in his church. What we need is for the church to become an exceedingly great army. That's what we need because guess what? Even if we get a more conservative politician in office, that does not strengthen the church of Jesus Christ. The downward slide continues. The animosity between the parties continues. What we need is Jesus. So, do you see the power of the cross and the resurrection life that the Holy Spirit desires to bring to us, is that superimposed on your vision for the future? Do you see what God and only God can do? And do you see that he delights to do it? And are you willing to smile at the days to come knowing he will do it? Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to, the purpo- to his purpose. That's Tetaitain right there. Paul is saying, I see it. All this that the enemy is meaning for evil, I see it. I see the power of the cross. I see the ability of the Holy Spirit to work that power of the shed blood of Jesus into every circumstance and to turn it and to flip it, to hang Haman on his own gallows. So technically, I have rehearsed this one point I had, had a message called the counterpunch. I, had a, I think I had one called the plot twist. It's not like I've been short on saying this exact theme over and over and over again. But even for me, I want to rehearse it. I want to rehearse it to my soul to remember that God is not caught off balance right now. That he is still seated at the right hand of majesty. He sees all, knows all. And when the kings of the earth... The nations of this earth plot against him. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and holds them in derision. Therefore, I want to be in agreement with his laughter. I want to be in agreement with his vision for the future. I don't want the news media, even the conservative version of it, to define my outlook. I want God Almighty to define the way that Eric Ludy thinks. I want him to define how the church of Jesus Christ thinks in this age and generation. Tetaitain, staring at the impossibilities and superimposing Jesus on top of them. That's what it is. In other words, okay, you stare at an impossible situation. You can pick yours. You just dream up one right now. And it could be governmental. Like right now, it doesn't seem that it's at all possible that this nation can get along with itself, right? We have a whole bunch of people that seem to hate our nation, a whole bunch of people that seem to love our nation, a whole bunch of people that want to sink our nation, a whole bunch of people that want to rescue our nation. They don't seem to agree. When someone wants to sink it and the other person wants to resurrect it, you know, it's a hard uh, thing to see match. But at the same time, do you see God's ability to take that circumstance and change it into a great harvest? What is God wanting to do? Let's make sure we know what fish he's frying. Because a lot of times we're asking him to bail water for us when the boat's filling up with water. It's like, God, wake up and bail water. He's like, 
I'm going to do something far bigger than that. You see, what we're asking of him is so beneath what he desires to do. God doesn't mind our boat filling up with water every now and again. But what he wants us to do is prove faith in those moments. He's in the boat with us, guys. There's nothing to fear. What you need to trust is that he is in control. And you need to allow him to do it his way. So, te tai time. Here's another definition for it. Radically believing that Jesus will turn even this into a wondrous work of triumph. So, you know, you look in history and you're like, well, I can understand why he did that. You know, I can understand that he did that. Sure, he did this, but this is different. You know, it's, it's interesting because in this country, I understand why we struggle because we have had the truth. Why would we deserve a second chance? Technically, for all practical purposes, America should be destroyed. That would be the end conclusion if all of us believe that judgment triumphed over mercy. However, the truth of the word of God is mercy triumphs over judgment. And if God has the kindling of humility and repentance, he will kindle upon it. He will. He's looking for it. Boy, do I want it in myself. I want to start with humility and repentance. I want to lay my life before him and say, God, start with me. I do not want to cluck my tongue at a lost and dying world out there or a church that is in the stranglehold of worldly compromise. I want to start here, right here in this room and say, Lord Jesus, kindle upon us. If you want to start somewhere, may we be your starting grounds. Judgment begins in the house of God. I don't mind if he wants to bring judgment on that which is off in us because he's a merciful God. This side of eternity, you want the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You really do. So Lord Jesus, please start with us. Practicing processing like a Christian. So let's just do some practice. How about this one? You could exercise this statement. I have a future and a hope. Sounds like some weird self-help program. You know, I, Eric Ludy, have a future and a hope. And yet, if it's based on truth, I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed. He has promised this. Then it's okay to rehearse the realities of your life. I am going to boldly live and boldly expect God to steer me through this ever-growing minefield. So imagine that this is a minefield out in front of us. And imagine that there's a mine over there and a mine over here, and you've been told about those all growing up. And you're like, okay, I at least know if I walk straight here, I won't get it. But now we live in an age and generation where mines are being set everywhere because they want to take us out. They're looking for ways to blow off our leg. And so as a result, you can tend to be paralyzed. Like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. How do you share Jesus when it could incriminate you now? Are you willing to move boldly forward and say, God will lead me through the minefield? He knows where they are. I'm fine. I trust him. I believe God has great things in store for my life. You know that it's actually important to know that? that God has a future and a hope for you, that he has great things in store. Now, what great things are, it's a funny thing. If you say great things, that means, it doesn't mean a lot of money. It doesn't mean a lot of ease and comfort. You know, when I look at my life, I look at opportunity to transform a world, that he has built a vessel, planted me in his grace, stocked me full of truth, and then he says, I want to use you. 
I could be in a prison cell and that could be a great thing in store for my life. I know that sounds funny, but it's all in how I appropriate it because that prison cell could be turned upside down for Jesus Christ. I could actually die as a martyr. Guess what? That doesn't mean it's not a great thing in my life. It could change other people's lives. There could be a whole awakening of people in this world because I was willing to die joyfully for Jesus. In other words, it doesn't, just because I say great things in store for my life doesn't mean it's ease. doesn't mean it's comfort. It could be challenge. But it's still great. The Father had a great thing in store for Jesus. It changed my life. And I sure do appreciate him recognizing that it was worth giving up his life to redeem us. So I want to live the same in response. I believe that every challenge I face only makes my testimony stronger for Jesus and only causes my witness to increase for his glory. So my statement, I said this to the workers, we have a work project on campus, and I had a devotional time on Thursday morning, this is what I said. I said, my phrase in my soul, when I get into those dark places, when it seems that God is either silent or ignoring me or not near or asleep in the boat, whatever it is, that I rehearse over and over again in my soul, watch what my God will do. And you can say, who are you talking to? I'm talking to myself as one. I'm also talking to all the witness in heaven and hell. I believe my God is going to come through. I believe this stone is going to roll away. I believe in the God of resurrection life. I believe that this is not the end of the story. I believe that in the end, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Watch what my God will do. Hanging Haman, so how do we do it? How does it happen? Well, by the way, we're not the ones that hang Haman. God does. God is the one that turns the circumstances. So what is our job? We tay-tay-tay. You guys starting to like that phrase? I can see you. Some of you will be dancing as you're leaving. Tay-tay-tay. Tay-tay. Tay-tay-tay. I need to get it right. Tay-tay-tay. As you're going away, it's, it's a good like, rhythm that you can create with it for some dance maneuvers. And so I just want you to consider that because it's a good thing to remember. The eights thrown into the Yardain in every situation. We remember that God takes the junk, the bad stuff, the evil intent, the lies and malevolence of the enemy and converts it through his work on the cross. Sure, there's a lot of evil going on. God's gonna take every single bit of it and turn it into triumph. As a result, what do you have to fear? Think about that, guys. This is the logic of the Christians throughout the ages. If it's true that God is in control and everything the enemy means for evil gets turned, there's no need to fear it because it's all gonna turn into triumph, every single bit of it. And that's where your faith comes in. You need to apply that cross and that Holy Spirit to every situation and say, he is able He has done it, and he will continue to do it. We'll finish with this, Esther 9.25. When Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. There is a movement against us in this world of fear. Fear, I've never seen fear in this culture like I did starting mid-March last year where it became hip and cool to be fearful. Lawlessness, I've never seen lawlessness in this country. 
in my lifetime, as I saw in this past year, outrageous things that had no response to them, and even a, a request to defund anyone that would do something about it. I mean, shocking, right? It's a movement against this world that we live in. We have deception, massive levels of deception that are so strange and bewildering, we look back and we don't have a word for it, so we just call it nonsensical, absurd, idiocy. We, we lack terminology to describe it. Who would actually think that thought? But there are people in this world that are thinking it's deception. Murder and hate. There is a desire not just to try and coexist with people you disagree with, but to kill them. What is this? This isn't the America most of us have grown up in. It's like just emerging out of nowhere. Apathy. No one's doing anything about it. Wow, the big five. And they are moving in and they have you on their dinner plans. So what do you do? You tay tie tie. Do you see that God is greater? Do you see that God has the final say? Do you see that though Haman is plotting and he is celebrating, I mean, he's so happy. <laughs> Haman, if you read the story, it's really funny. I mean, he's just so jubilant, so arrogant that he can't see what's coming. That's our enemy. He doesn't even think he needs to listen into this message. There's a, a bunch of jokesters in there. They don't know what they're talking about. I believe God does. And I believe God is going to defeat that enemy. And we are going to see a stone roll away. And we're going to see resurrection life revealed in this natural realm. Jesus wins. Lord Jesus, we belong to you. Here we are. Lord, I pray that you would turn all this evil, all this nonsense, all this idiocy, all this hatred, all this violence, all this lawlessness, all this fear into something altogether different for us as the church. Lord, may it lead to triumph. May it lead to love. May it lead to joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. May it lead to boldness and courage for your truth. Lord, take all of this and turn it. May we be like Elisha, Elisha with our coffee and our yawn and our stretch. And may we see the sunset and the beauty of it and not the Syrian army that is settling in to kill us. We trust you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.